Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to the show. This is Auntie Vice here with Fat Chicks on Top. Today we have a guest I've been wanting to get on the show for months and months and finally got an interview. Sinclair Sexsmith. You probably know them as the most famous butch non-binary erotic art author out there. They uh, work with Sugar Butch. They're on Autostraddle. They teach. They edit Best Lesbian Erotica. They write. Uh, they were at a Lambda literary award finalists they do all the things welcome to the show thank you so much thanks for having me it's great to have you here so because we've had other authors who have appeared in best lesbian erotica and they consider that one of their highest highest things they're excited about for those of you who listened to the the interview with meg elison she said she that she brags about that more than any of her other awards is that she was in best lesbian erotica and you are the editor this is a relaunch series with you as an editor. So how did that come to be? Cleus, uh, Cleus approached me. Cleus Press kind of emailed me a little bit out of the blue. We, um, I have uh, been a guest editor for the Best Lesbian Erotic series in the past. Um, number the one that was published in 2012, I was the guest editor. And they used to kind of have a different style of series where they'd have a uh, a series editor and then a guest editor picked the story for that individual event, uh, individual copy. And so, and then I'd also done a, a, an anthology with them called say, please. That was lesbian BDSM erotica around the same time, 2012. And I've reviewed books for them for a long time. So they, I knew my work was on their radar. We've, we've talked, I've sent them things. I've occasionally gone by and, you know, stop by the office and had lunch with one of the editors or whatever. And, uh, and so I, yeah, I think I was just on their radar when they were in the place where they were looking for a new, a new editor of the series uh, this year, 20 uh, volume seven coming out this year is going to be 2023's book. It comes out in December is the fourth in the series that I've done. It's, Oh, I'd have to, I'd have to count, but I think it's close to 30 that they've done total. Um, and I, I'm really excited about it. I love the new cover. I'm really excited about the stories. I've been actually just the last two days, I've been working on edits for that book. So it's very close to complete and I'm really stoked to have that one out in the world soon. It's interesting because your approach is to make it very inclusive in how we conceptualize lesbianism. And so it goes beyond just cis female, cis female stuff. Uh, what are the trends right now is in erotic writing and BDSM writing that you're seeing? What are the trends right now? Um, I, I mean, 
Cleus knew when they were hiring me <laughs> that my work is very gender expansive. And so it's definitely been a goal of mine to have significantly more trans women included and have non-binary folks who, I think the way I've been saying it is something like non-binary folks who are rooted in lesbian community and lesbian culture, because um, not all non-binary folks are, but many are. And to have those voices and and uh, opinions and, and representations included in a overarching lesbian collection. Um, I've also talked to Cleus about like, you know, would you ever consider changing the title and, and moving the title to something new? Um, and they, I, th I don't think they're very, the, not so much. They're not so into that idea. Um, and in part, it's actually, you know, goes into the like marketing issues of the book uh, and the ways that keywords and titles uh, make a big difference in sales and marketing. And, uh, and, and so that's, you know, that's a realm that I'm, I'm less familiar with as far as traditional book publishing goes a little bit, but not a lot. And, and, and so there's a way that I don't, <laughs> as the editor, I don't have a lot of control there. Yeah. It, there's a large discussion in the erotic community about how things get marketed and do we need a unique section, say for, black romance or latinx romance and is that just niche marketing should we incorporate it into the larger spectrum and i think as society starts to deal with racism on different levels it becomes more complex to navigate mm -hmm. have you found other places to find because your work is is very expansive when it comes to gender and various bdsm activities and stuff have you found that to be fairly accepted amongst your readership that people are really into this and it's just mainstream publishers haven't picked it up yet or is it really quite niche still? Yeah, that's a good question. It's hard to tell based on my readership because my readership is opt in, right? Like they come mm -hmm. to me and they stick around because they like it. So um, the folks who are not into the kinds of dominance and submission, the sometimes like daddy dynamics within dominance as well. Um, I imagine they don't read a lot of my work, you know, because those are keystones of, of my erotic work. So, and I hope like, like kind of, I don't know, good internet citizens or good internet etiquette would have if, if people are stumbling on my site and going, huh, this this smut really isn't for me that they just kind of go and they find somewhere else to be. And they, and so I don't even really notice or see them. It's the folks who are there and stick around and read over and over and contact me and come to classes. And, you know, those are the folks that I hear from. And those are often the people whose interests are very much more aligned. Um, I, what I am seeing in erotica is a huge boom especially in like queer kinky erotica, huge boom of self-published works. And lots of those are pretty kinky and pretty, uh, maybe even a little on the extreme side. And some of them are beautifully, incredibly written. And some of them are not well-written at all. And some of them are incredibly compelling stories and characters, and some of them are not. And so it's, you know, it's, it's amazing how many more, how much more representation and like this giant pile of, of 
of works that we have access to, but then it's also a challenge to sort through them for like what what's actually worth reading and what's not. But I I think that I think the yeah uh, yeah the quality. But I think the audience wants to explore power dynamics and explore uh, intense sensation and explore all the ways that uh, all the like complex things that BDSM has to offer. Uh, I think that I think with the rise of ebooks, you know, it's so much easier in some some ways to to read erotic stories, you know, discreetly, and and that has made a big difference in in the industry. Um, I mean, just the other night, I downloaded probably I, I have this habit. I don't know if you do this, but I have this habit where if I find out about a book. I'll go and I'll download the Kindle sample of it onto my Kindle. Mm. Um, I try, I, I have mixed relationships with Amazon and, you know, I do my best to order books other places from local bookshops or for, or from um, indie, indie stores online or mm. whatever. But I've been shopping at bookshop.org a lot lately, which is great, right? They give kickbacks to local bookstores. I'll kind of bypass that by getting the Kindle samples. And then I say, you know, if you get the sample and you actually read the sample, Sinclair, and then you still want to read the book, you could buy the book. This has changed my book purchasing habits significantly because I, spoiler alert, almost never have time to read all of the samples that I download. Um, and so I buy few, way fewer books this way. Uh, and, and then the ones when I actually do read through it, I'm like, oh, this is this one I do want to keep reading. And then I don't feel bad spending the whatever, eight, 10, 12, $14 on it. Um, so just the other night, that's my backstory. Just the other night, I was like, I bet there's some really good lactation erotica and like, you know, breastfeeding, nipple sucking erotica out there uh, that I've never really dived into. I downloaded about 12 or so, maybe 15 erotica books, the ones that had good reviews and looked the best that I could find from Amazon, download these samples, read through them all. They were terrible. I think may, there's maybe one that I would read a little more of, but I'm not sure I would pay for it. So I've been kind of like, I, I have not bit bit the bit the dollar bullet for that one yet. So I, I love that I get to peek inside there, but like, mm -hmm. then how do you find the ones that are good? Because I bet there are good ones out there. But no, there's no bookseller who has read this entire genre and curated the, the shelf with 10 titles as like, these are the right ones. So that bookseller job is so important. And that's, you know, yet again, why I love the in-person bookstores. All right. I'm now I'm meandering through a tangent. So I'll go back to you. No, it's funny you bring that up because that is one of lactation porn is one that can be hard to find decent writing. And I actually have a couple patrons who pay me to write custom lactation stories because they couldn't find what they wanted. So they hit me up and like once a month, I send them a custom lactation story and they pay me for it. And man, it's, it's a different, it was not something I was ever into, but oh my God, they're fun to write. Like I love writing the sci-fi weird, weird, kinky mm -hmm. shit. Uh, when it comes to your own writing, obviously you write stuff for publication and for specific projects and stuff but what's the stuff you really love to write well well i have been enjoying writing some lactation porn lately um 
Uh, you know, for me, I think I do have a little bit of just a body fluid fetish in general. And so the fluids that come out of the body, just like, so it wasn't until, I don't know, well, probably more than a decade ago now, 10 ish years ago or so, but that I was like, oh, right, milk, like breast milk. What? Like, let's go there. What is that? Holy crap. Um, but this is still something I feel a little private about, and I don't share about it a lot or write about it a lot. There are a few stories on Sugar Witch that, that are about this. Um, there was one in particular by Maria C. in the archive that um, was one of the first stories that I read, and I was like, oh, I oh, I get how that's sexy, right? Like, I, oh, it just like clicked. I was like, oh shit, I think I'm into this. Uh, and I have, a, I have a link I can send t- uh, to you about with, with a pile of those. I put them all under like a particular tag now so that they're all in one place. But that that is what I've been really enjoying writing. Um, I've been enjoying reading the genre of dark romance or dark erotica, which... Uh, is relatively new to me. Like I I hang out in full on erotica and queer erotica and queer BDSM erotica most of the time as a, as a reader. So like I was doing some research about different genres of romance and came into this dark romance thought and went, huh, like, what is this? Tell me more. It turns out, you know, it's a, um, a lot of, sometimes they call it dubious consent where like, maybe not quite consenting, but maybe they, it feels nice anyway, you know, or sometimes there's like kidnapping stories where it's clearly not consented to. And, you know, so there's some, this dark genre, you know, has a lot of boundary pushing. And so I've read a couple things in here. Some of that has been amazing. And some of it has also been like, Ooh, I don't know how you're going to redeem this. You know, like this is way outside the bounds of my ethics and, um, and that's so that's been fun. And I have been really wanting to write some of my own in that in that genre and push some push some boundaries around like I'm gonna say ethics, but ethics are so variable that's not quite the it's not quite the right word, but like consent and clarity and you know it's it's easy for erotica writers, especially ones who are also sex educators, to really have a lot of the like best practices woven into their erotica. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily make for the funnest stuff to read. So I've been, I personally, I've been really trying to figure out how I can push myself to write stuff that's riskier and edgier for me um, and have some like political, sociopolitical justification around that so that I don't have the pushback of like, you're encouraging people to do X, Y, Z, right? Um, how do we how do we distinguish between this is pure pure fantasy, and huh. this is how you should do something if you are going to do a, a scene like this? Which you know those are different things. So uh-huh. how to how to keep those like how to keep the education separate on those? I'm not sure if you've uh, read Hong's Daughter by Midori. But it's it's on that dark erotic. And it, when she talks about it, she's like, read all my v- other books and do what they say for kink. Don't do anything in this book. Like, this is purely fantasy set in the, the near future. But don't do anything like this. Because this was all. And I know that she's worked with that herself. It's like, okay, so I'm doing all this education. This is how you do it right. 
But on the other hand, you may get off on some of this fantasy stuff that because I think a lot of us who write have that struggle. Like, or you'll be asked to write something. Um, I've done a lot of, of ghostwriting that don't mesh with your ethics. How do you negotiate that? If you know you could get, you know, a de- get the rent paid by writing something that doesn't fit in with full consent or something that you're okay with, but you also have to pay the rent. Where does that fall as a writer for you? Mm. I I don't do a lot of ghostwriting and I don't like, I do do paid writing, writing for hire, but um, I don't know if I've really been asked to write something that I would say is out of my ethics. I mean, if it was a fantasy story, like say there was someone who said, I, you know, my girlfriend really wants to be kidnapped and assaulted and, you know, three horrible people do whatever they want to her for a day or two or whatever. I want you to write this story for me that I could work that I could work with that. That's of course that's um, uh, without consent that is outside the bounds of my ethics, but with consent and with fantasy that's workable. Right. If, but if someone wanted me to write something about like, you know, I don't know. um, Condoms aren't necessary and you shouldn't, use them and whatever right like that would that would be too far and i would not i would say no um but again i don't i'm not in that position very often most of the time when people are hiring me to write um i have a lot of creative control and they might give me some frames but uh i have a i have yeah i have a lot of control over it over the topics and subjects so on this, one of the things that has started to come up with some calls for erotic writing um, that I've seen, and it's it's rare, but it's starting to pop up, is more trauma-informed uh, stuff and around how, how you approach it of writing fantasy that may be very triggering for folks. Um, and you've done some work around, you know, stuff that may trigger folks. How do you handle that in your own work? In my own work, when I publish on Sugarbush, on sugarbush.net, which is like my main hub online where most of my stuff is, um, <clears throat> I I just include content warnings at the top. I will include, you know, this story includes daddy girl, you know, force play, some resistance, some consensual non-consent, spanking, I don't know, whatever, uh, the uh, use of a insertable glass bottle, you know, whatever. And um, I generally have found that people tend to be on the very positive side of content warnings, that they don't feel like, you know, the story was spoiled, that they, that they read the content warning and then just go like, Ooh, yeah, this is definitely for me, you know, and get even more kind of excited about it. Um, And of course, if anybody was reading that and, saw those things and was like, wow, I definitely can't read about that right now, then all the better. Great. Don't read about that. And, and that's been my, that's been my major practice is just including here, you know, here's the content you're about to read um, with some keywords basically. Uh, And in, so I teach erotica writing on, uh, on, I have an online group that's kind of on and off. It's a a six week group um, called writing spicy. Uh, And this I've done it four times now and um 
We're going to do another one in the fall of 2022. I don't have dates yet, but I'll hopefully have those soon. Um, and in that, uh, in that writing group, we agree to a practice of content warnings as well. So we agree to put content warnings for for these certain things. So there'll be a list of like any, if any of these things are in your story, just put a content warning. Um, and I put it out to the group to ask, is there anything that you would need content warning for? And feel free to message me individually. If you don't want to out yourself about it, that's fine. Um, and at some point, somebody said something like, oh, you know, knives was one of them, right? Which I think was already on the list. But um, someone else said something that was kind of unusual. And now I'm trying to remember what it was. It might've been like hair brushing or something, you know? Okay. And cause, cause the thing about triggers is they're often uh, really benign things like um, for, for, for the ways that the brain latches on to like, traumatic experiences so like red sweatshirts right like it's not um it's not always the kind of extreme that you think it is and there are lots of people who are just not ready to read about that level of kind of violence or um violation i mean i'm hesitating to use these words because i think within a consent and key context they you could argue that that is not the same thing but um you know, there's a level of ex- extremity of, of edge play that that I want people to be able to opt into and to choose to read if they want to. And there's plenty of people in those groups who love reading the, the edge play and the dirty stuff. So it's not like the folks who do content warnings just like don't get any feedback or, you know, don't get read. Like the people are very excited about those things too. And that, that's worked pretty well, actually. Like having, just having the warning and say like optional if you can't, if you're not in a space to read this, that's cool. And move on. So you do offer the writing class. Full disclosure, I took the first one you offered, and I thought it was fantastic, and I got a ton out of it. Lots of people want to write erotica, or you may have written it for yourself or a partner. You throw it up on Fat Life. What do you find when people finally come to the come to a class, invest the time to develop it? Do most people go on then to write and get stuff published? Or is this really just to improve your own writing and, and for fun? I mean, what what for the students that you've had go through this class, kind mm. of where do they go next? It's, you know, it's so variable. Some people are just doing this because they have a, a personal interest in, you know, private stories, maybe for themselves or for their partner or, uh you know, for their, for writing better sex, <laughs> like having better sexting <laughs> or whatever. Um, and, and there's a small, I'd say that fewer people, but, but a small, but mighty little cohort within the groups have been really dedicated to trying to send their work out to publications and getting published. Some of them have started Instagram accounts where they're sharing their writing or blogs where they're sharing their writing. And um, and it's been, it's been super lovely. I mean, as I, so I became the editor for Cleus Press for Best Lesbian Erotica for four years ago. It would have been 99-ish. Is that right? 99, sorry. 19, uh, 18, must have been 18. And um, the first year that I had a call for submissions out and I got all these stories and I was reading through them. 
And I was just so disappointed because they just were not up to the caliber of like kinky, queer, gender, weirdo <laughs> um, adventuring that I witness and that I know happens in my communities constantly. And, you know, like sometimes just being at a, at a brunch party, you get better stories than I was getting submitted to this. And this is supposed to be like some of the best of the best of the work of the year. And so I was like, all right, how do I support people who I know are writing amazing stories, who are having amazing uh, adventures or amazing erotic imaginations, even if they're not kind of actualizing these at the moment? How do I support them to have more confidence to submit their work? Because, you know, if you've never submitted something before, if you didn't go to like writing school, which I did, and like learn the process of how to submit something, you, you're you missing a bunch of steps and you might just find it so intimidating that it's just not possible. So part of, especially the early few uh, writing spices that I did we spent some time talking specifically about how to submit something, how to read a call for submissions for a book, where to find the calls for submission, how to know if your if your piece is a fit or not, or or could be a fit or not, and how to query the editor, how to how to um, actually write the email, like what do you need to say in it? So really trying to break down that process to make it more accessible um, and demystified for the people who, you know did not have those kind of educations because it's, it's a tool, it's a skill like anything else and you can learn it and get better at it. And then it's a lot easier to submit. So really my secret agenda is to have more kinky queer people and more of the like marginalized, you know, weirdos. And I say the weirdos with so much love in my heart, not in a bad way at all, but the, you know, meaning the, like not the people outside of the mainstream, you know, to feel like they have a, a right and a place to be in, in those conversations about like what is erotic to queer folks. Yeah. And that, and that's been some, that's been successful, somewhat successful. Definitely been lots of people from the classes who have sent stuff in to my anthologies, to Rachel Carmel Bussell's work. Cause you, you know, her, she has like a dozen mm-hmm. anthologies every year or something. That's not true. I'm exaggerating, but it feels like that sometimes she's so prolific. She does so much. Yeah. So much. And so she's always looking for new people to publish and, um, and is a wonderful editor to work with, you know, as far as like suggestions and feedback. Um, yeah. So, so a variety of folks have, have been published from there and are still really dedicated. And then there's a variety who are like, wow, I haven't re- written at all since your class. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's just, that's it. Or like I wrote my girlfriend a neurotic story for Valentine's day. Thanks for your help. You know, like, and that was all I'm doing with it. So like, it's more about personal interest than about like professional growth. But I think if people want to take it onto that professional growth level, there's some possibilities there. So for some people writing erotic or writing in general is how we process our shit and process our trauma. Has that been true for you? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, I write writing and like kind of being a writer quote unquote, is, is about the way I process the world and my life experiences. So I, I mean, I am compulsively writing, like I have 
Just from our conversation in the last half an hour, I have half a page of things written in my notebook right now because I'm just compulsively making notes and 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 like kind of kind of like processing my experience from my head, brain, mind down through into my hand. And that something about the act of that makes my experiences integrate better and like makes me understand my own experiences better. Um, and I love the, the, the genre of like transformative arts, transformative writing um, as a way to dive in to explaining and sharing, even if it's sharing just like between you and your journal, right. Um, about your life and about your experiences such that you come to new understandings of them by the end of the writing. Uh, One of my teachers used to write and teachers used to say, we write so that we can get to know what we don't know that we already know, because there's nothing that's coming on the page that you don't somehow know somewhere in your body. Um, But sometimes you have to really do some effort to tap into those things. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time journaling and writing and, and working with different forms of writing to, to support myself and my growth and my understanding of my trauma and my understanding of where I'm going next in my like healing or self-awareness journeys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I could, mm, we could talk about that all day. (laughs) So, So in doing this type of writing and getting out, has it changed your sex life? Oh, absolutely. Um, and actually, that's that's basically Sugar Butch's origin story, um, which I'll, maybe I'll tell, but I'll try to keep it brief, which was that I was uh, living in New York City with my college girlfriend. We'd moved there together uh, and we stopped having sex. We had a whole like bed death situation. We were together four years. We had sex four times in the second two years in the last two years of the relationship. And I counted because I was going just nuts with desire and want. And, um, and I thought she was so sexy. Like I wanted that. I wanted that play. Um, And so I decided anytime I, Oh, well, also I was, I was, I felt like I had writer's block. I, I have different thoughts about writer's block in this moment. And that's an asterisk to come back to later, but I really wasn't writing at all because everything I was writing was I should break up with my girlfriend. I should break up with my girlfriend. I should break up. And I, and I just wasn't ready to face that. So I basically was stopping writing. Um, so I decided anytime I wanted to have sex, I would either go to the gym and try to like work it out of my body or I would write erotica. And so of course I wrote a lot of erotica. I did not spend much time at the gym a little, maybe a little bit, but not mm-hmm. a lot. And, um, and I did what I knew what to do with some writing that I kind of was liking, which was that I put it on an anonymous blog and it was 2006. So like anonymous blogs were in the blogging world was quite different in 2006 than it is now. Um, and started getting some, you know, attention for it. I, I kind of became part of the there was kind of a, a bit of a like sex blog community in New York at that time. And, um, and as soon as I started writing and writing regularly, I had to really face the truth of my relationship and the ways that I was not getting what I wanted or needed. And, 
and that and that not having an active sex life even though the rest of the relationship was really fantastic was enough of a reason to not be in that anymore uh and that was a process you know so like that that's just one example but i have spent a lot of time writing myself into new identities and new senses of myself um new understandings of how how I work in the world or how what how I want things to work um depending on what I'm kind of trying to work out and what I'm trying to make sense of has it has that been part of the process of just of coming into a non-binary identity mm. or was that separate for you mm. I definitely did a ton of writing around non-binary identity and and work and like writing myself into that I mean I've I came out as Butch more than 20 years ago. Let's see, it was 1999. So whatever that math is, uh, 23 years. And it, and through the, like Butch is still kind of my favorite word for my gender. Um, but as like other kinds of, I don't know, sibling words, uh, it was more like androgyny when I came out and it was more, that it was genderqueer for a while. And now we've kind of moved to non-binary as a whole, like those words still exist and people still use them to describe themselves. But um, as like a whole and a culture and a category, we've really latched onto non-binary in a, in a different way. Um, and so I'm, so my, you know, my words have kind of adapted as those words have evolved over the years too. And, I use non-binary because I think it does contribute. It does communicate to people that uh, I I have critique of the gender binary. I um, occupy some spaces outside of it, and and that I believe there's kind of more than two genders. And yeah, broadly, right? Like there's some broad things that non-binary people generally agree agree with and exist and and, and believe and. And, you know, there's some ways actually that my gender is actually pretty binary. Like I am, uh, I am a masculine, butch, like kind of trans mask-ish person. And that hasn't really changed in the 23-ish years since I came out as butch. And like my, my gender is not really fluid. I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't have much of a range of my presentation. Like, and, um, and it's kind of pretty firm in the kind of traditional masculine look, you know, uh, there are some folks, plenty of folks who like transition or come into a masculine identity and then are like, Oh, now that I'm so masked, I can definitely wear lipstick and heels and mm-hmm. feather boas or whatever. And like that kind of dress up of femininity from like a masculine perspective is like more fun for them. And that's just not uh, still not that fun. I mean, I'll, eh, I can, I can do it. It's just not, doesn't have a lot of heat in it for me. So like, so I, so in some ways non-binary, I, I am kind of on the fence about, I'm, I'm, I'm into it as a social category and I fit in there as better than I fit in most other categories. So like I use it, but there is a way that sometimes I'm like, but am I not binary though? Because I kind of am a little bit. That's so that's a broad. So how did I use writing for that? I think most of my writing around non-binary identity has been in my journals as opposed to public. Uh, but I have written some about gender and and uh, 
sex and kink and being a daddy and being a dominant um, uh, throughout the process as well, for sure. Uh, And, you know, it took me a while to come to feel comfortable with being a, a dominant and a top and being masculine because I just felt like, am I just reinforcing a stereotype here? Am I following along these assumptions about what things should be like? Is this really true for me? Am I perpetuating a stereotype? And um, and had to really kind of, you know, reconcile that uh, as I was coming into both of those identities because neither of those being butch or being dominant, I was really, I don't know, born with. They all came later and they were processes to develop. So you bring up butch. We've had a couple of other, other folks mention it and it tends to be people who are a little older, you know, over 40. I don't think of 40 as old because uh, I won't pass that point. But uh, uh, but it was for a long time. Butch was an identity, right? And Butch was a very strong identity in, in the lesbian community and had a very strong meaning. So for you, when you came in and decided to kind of embrace the Butch identity, some people think of it as just a style of dress or gender presentation. Was it just that for you or was it more than, is Butch more than that for you? Mm. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because um, like when even just saying that it was an identity, like it, it very, I think it really is an identity. It still is. I do see some, a lot of 20 somethings coming into using it and, and coming into a Butch Femme dynamic and um yeah i mean percentage why i don't know i don't know how to gauge the like popularity or if it's getting you know many people think butch is dying i i actually don't agree but that's you know that's that's a whole other cultural conversation um I, i do think it's present i think it's still here i also think you know when i was coming into being a butch being and changing my appearance a lot in the late nineties, people said the same thing, but butch, Oh, butch, that's only for old people. That's only for the old dykes. Like nobody's butch anymore. That's not, we don't use that term. It's so outdated. It's so heteronormative. It's so, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And I, and I was kind of like, okay, I hear you. And like, there's something in this for me. And I don't, I didn't know at the time very clearly, I think what it was, but um it, it is about dress and style of dress. It is about, uh, there's a particular kind of classic masculinity look often associated with butches, right? That has to do with like, mm-hmm. even if uh, like anything from like jeans and t-shirts to like suits and vests and, um, you know, dapper accessories, the like kind of dapperness, but you know, there's a range, right? Cause you kind of also have the like mechanic butch or the like, you know, wall street butch, like these are, you know, wide range of, of kind of class dis- dis- uh, expressions of it too. But the thing that was the most important to me and the thing that really, that I just couldn't shake and that really, that really kind of clicked um, was, was the way that, being butch put me into a lineage of other butches and it put me into kind of a, a direct conversation with this line of butches who've come before me known and unknown plenty, you know, plenty of very unknown 
folks who just lived their lives and did their thing. Um, and then the variety of maybe what I would call like paperback mentors, people, people who I learned through their books about their lives and work and, you know, coming out into um, books like Leslie Feinberg and uh, Bear Bergman and Ivan Coyote and, Oh gosh, I'm sure I could think of many others, but those three come to mind immediately. It, it felt like the things I was writing and the thing, the philosophy I was pondering had a community and had a, had a context. And that was what mattered to me the most about, about that. And that like the things they were describing, I I was like, oh shit, that's me, right? Like that I could finally see myself reflected in in bits and pieces of their experiences in a way that I had never had before as someone, you know, grew up a girl, a female, whatever I was, and, and just did not understand how I fit in the world because I didn't see people who looked like me or who looked like how I felt. So that was the the revelation of the like paperback mentors and putting myself in a lineage and in a conversation with the butchers who came before me was what was what was revolutionary changed my world for sure. Yeah, no, there's some amazing writing about that that stems long, long way back through queer writing and and lesbian writing. And I, you know, the the butch's dying theme has been there since the seventies, at least in in the writing that I've seen, right? Um, and yeah, I think part of it is with with gravitating towards non-binary is there's been such a pushback, and somehow butch is supposed to be unflattering or a dirty word. It's one of my favorite um, Instagram accounts. Is butch is not a dirty word, and it's just full of hot butches, which just make me. Yeah, that that's that's where my heart lies, <laughs> and um, but not seeing yourself reflected in representations of the wider presentation of what female-bodied people could be, I think, is a big part of it for some folks. And we we don't have that in the in the wider culture, right? We may have tomboys for a little bit, but it's supposed to be something you outgrow. Um, the other part you bring up is the daddy. So let's talk a little bit about daddies and what is daddy in kink and how, how does that manifest for you? Sure. Totally. <clears throat> and I think also before we dive in too much, I, I guess I also want to say that like, I think it's a little weird that kink, the kink culture doesn't have more content warnings around daddy content because there is a lot of trauma with folks who have, um, life experiences with, you know, uh, boundary violations and issues with um, men in authority over them and in particular father figures. And I think, yeah. anyway, so I just want to throw a little, a little content warning onto mm. it. And as I've been trying to be more cautious about my own, about what I put into the world uh, with mm. daddy content on it. Um, so you might notice if you go to, sugarbutch.net uh that a lot of the stories that have daddy a lot of the erotica stories that are about daddy content are under password protection now um and that's in part because i don't want people to just stumble into it especially from a search engine because there's mm -hmm. um 
some that's some of the highest searches I get and some of the highest search results I get are people coming across, you know, the story daddy in the morning and then they come from search engine, they read that story only and they leave. And there's no greater context for who I am and how I approach daddying and what this means. And people can superimpose all sorts of things onto that story. Um, with, uh, yeah, about, about whatever. And, and it was when I started getting comments of, you know, like people, like from someone with a male name, I don't mm-hmm. who knows who they really are saying things like, you know, I do this to my daughter every morning or whatever, uh, which obviously I don't publish that comment on the site, but like, right. I, I don't even want to, I don't even want to be close anywhere close to that. Um, enabling that kind of thing. And I feel like the, the thing I've had to do is put the things that are more controversial behind a password. And uh, that's, that doesn't feel great because I want accessibility of the work and I, d- I just don't want it out of context. All right. That's, that's all backstory mm-hmm. to daddying also. Um, and also uh, people, usually that people get the password by joining my Patreon. And if someone is like, you know, I can't, I, I, I won't join mm-hmm. Patreon for whatever reason. They can just write me and I will give them the password. I I prefer people to donate when they mm-hmm. can and have the capacity because it feels like an energy exchange that way, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, sure, you can have access to all this really intimate stuff. Like, maybe you could give me just a little something, a dollar a month, whatever. But uh, if people can't, and sometimes they can't, there's mm-hmm. lots of reasons. That's okay. I will. I do actually share the password sometimes. All right. That again is all the backstory. So daddy, I, uh, it took me two or three years. I I would say from the time that I started, the time that I actually started reading and looking at some daddy erotica, uh, and the time that I was like, okay, yes, I want this thing. Like daddy erotica is common, right? Like we see a lot of erotica and even in the mainstream, we see it all the time. Who's your daddy? Or like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, Beyonce has a couple songs with daddy in it or whatever, right? There, we see it very commonly. And, and I think we know, just like we know if someone calls somebody else baby, uh, that mm-hmm. we're not literally calling them a small infant, you know, under two or something. We're it's a, it's a pet name, and mm-hmm. it happens to have a same the same letters, but it's used as kind of a different definition. Um, mm-hmm. And and <laughs> and while I while I agree that I agree with that, and I'm into it, there's also kind of the ethical questions around it being the exact same word. And can you, can you, can you reclaim it? Um, So, so I spent a couple good years going like, I I don't understand. I don't understand this daddy thing. How is this not just incest? How is this not glorifying abuse? I don't get it. What's this about? And, uh, and I would ask just anybody who would listen to me, like, you know, what do you know about daddy in the, in the, in a kink context? What do you think about it? How do you justify it? And, 
And in retrospect, it's very clear that I was kind of trying to figure it out for myself and, you know, had a lot of heat there for me. Uh, I remember I had an art teacher once who told me, right, like we're going to a museum, pay attention to the ones that you are really drawn to and you love. Pay attention also absolutely to the ones that you really don't like and what is in there for you. And so in, in some moments of like, sitting down with my like 15th friend for coffee to be like, I just don't understand this daddy thing. Like explain it to me again and again and again. And I have to go watch some more porn and read some more erotica <laughs> with daddy in it so that I understand. Right. Like you can, I was kind of yeah. like, Oh, I, uh, there's something happening here for me. Yeah. Uh, and that line of sometimes like aversion and attraction can be kind of fuzzy for a little while. Like, do I, do I actually hate this? Is that what kind of heat is in there? for me and why so at a certain point i was like kind of i don't i don't know what the tipping point was but i felt like i'd come to an understanding enough um and i think some of that for me has to do with seeing it in a, in a lineage of gay leather men and the ways that the paternalism and the like uh, parental um, containment and guidance from older gay leather men toward younger gay leather men made a lot of sense and was like this, this mentoring erotic, sexy relationship that often included, you know, outfits and <laughs> other fun things, uh, queer, you know, uh, uh, SM sex and stuff. Mm -hmm. So um it took me a while. It took me a while to come to daddy as an identity. It took then the girl that I was dating at the time took her a while too. Uh, she, at first she was just like, fuck no, I, we're not, what? Like, I don't want to involve my dad in sex. I'm kind of like, okay, it's clearly not your dad. Right. Like, and, and I, I thought she was going to be just totally not on board like ever. And then I remember at some point she said to me, you know, I think I'm just going to like say it sometime. Like, mm when we're fucking or when we're, you know, and just, we'll just see, like, I think I might just try, you know, I, I might be kind of curious about it. And I, I, I was shocked because I did not think she was mm -hmm. going to come around. And then when she did it, Oh my God, I was out of my, out of my pants about that. Like it just was, I, I, it was so sexy to me. And I think there was something really gender affirming in it for me. And there was something really power affirming of like, I see you as an authority. I see you as in charge. I see you as, and, and as protecting or caring or nurturing of me. Um, and those are all definitely flavors and valuable pieces within my own dominance that I wanted to be visible. So I felt really seen and it felt like a match. That was a, that felt like a very long answer, but there's a lot. It's so there's so much to unpack in it. There's so much to unpack. There is, there is. I can remember the first time I read "Doing It for Daddy" by Pat Califa. <laughs> that that made me extremely uncomfortable. But I have the book, and I've read it over and over. Like there's there's something, you know, there's definitely something there for some people, and it's like. Okay, this and it, it. I think you're right. It does start for a lot of folks. Is okay. So this is really uncomfortable because it's the same language, and I think we have a lot of that in kink, especially if you're talking about middle or little play. Uh, pet play can be weird for some people, but as you come into it, when it finally resonates, then it really resonates. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, 
if our readers want to find you, if they want to read your stuff, if they want to take your classes, if plug all the things. Yeah. So right now, which uh, you, unfortunately the listeners are too late for, but maybe in the future, I am currently running a, a course online called DS Playground that is um, experiments for DS and just, you know, go and try out this bondage thing, try out this thing around service, try it, you know, and, and then come back and report. And there's all sorts of things to write and read and, and play with um, and, and interact with. And then you can draw your own conclusions about where, what you like and what you don't like. And the idea is so that you can better articulate your desires in DS coming out of this uh, course. And you run that fairly regularly. I've done it about once a year since, uh, yeah, about 2014, actually. So we've been almost going on 10 years of DS Playground. And it is, is it changes every time. And there's, you know, it's different based on different cohorts. And anyway, I love it. I just love the depth of conversation that we have in there. Uh, and it's such a queer and trans and non-binary focused space, Um uh, cis hetero folks can come too, but they're definitely in the minority and that feels lovely. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I could sit around and talk about DS all day. And so it's, um, really pleasurable to, to do that for like six or eight weeks during these courses. Uh, upcoming after DS Playground further this fall, I am going to be doing another writing spicy class, which is the erotica writing group and it's um five weeks six weeks i can't remember how long and um very fun to um to write together and to give feedback and get feedback very supportive environment again lots of queer and trans and non-binary folks and uh, some of which want to get published and some of which don't ever want to do that and they're just writing for funsies so that i'm really looking forward to that too after that, Best Lesbian Erotica of the Year Volume 7 comes out in December. So keep an eye for that. I think you've done reviews and stuff in the past. Um, yeah. So I reviewed the last one. Yeah. Awesome. Hopefully we can get you another copy and see what you think about yeah. it. And um, and, the, and that's those are the biggest things. I'm still writing on SugarBitch.net. Um, I'm, in 2022, I've done a of uh, an interview series called the Dom sessions where I'm, I'm interviewing other dominants once a month. Um, partly at the purpose is because I kind of need some support for my own dominance. So I want to, to ask them things like, how do you keep in your dominant headspace when things are really hard or your mental health is falling apart? Cause this is, these are the answers I need to know. Um, and that's been a wonderful fun series too. That's mostly through my Patreon. Those are the big projects right now. Yep. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been wonderful to have you. It's so lovely to chat with you. Nice to connect a little bit. Thanks for having me. And now, a moment of gratitude. I'm currently grateful for... Well, the last few months... Uh, my partner and I have spent a great deal of time setting up, uh, converting a small like prefab shed 
that came from it, it didn't it didn't actually come from Home Depot, but it looks like those those ones in the Home Depot parking lot from a local company here. Uh, and then we finished it. We put insulation and walls. We finished the floors. We put some, you know, and this, and it has windows and skylights. And this is my office. And it it is now my, um, my like room of their own kind of space. And, and I have not had my own room dedicated to my work in maybe ever in my adult life. I very rarely had my own room in my own office. Um, I mean, we've had like a bedroom, but like an office, a workroom. So I'm so grateful for all the work my partner and other friends put into setting this up for me. And it just feels so wonderful to like be in here and be surrounded by my cluttered crap that I love <laughs> that sparks joy every single piece of it. And um, yeah, that's, that's one thing. Um, I'm grateful it's the summer and it feels high summer. I'm in uh, outside of Seattle in like Snoqualmie, Duwamish, Coast Salish land. And um, the, the leaves are just bursting. Everything is super green and sunny. And um, I, I want to go jump in a river really, but um, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for the high summer. Those are two things. The office, the summer, what else? I'll say I'm grateful for my, I have, I have two actually different groups right now that are dominant, uh, small dominant discussion groups. And I thought one of them would die for sure. And so I may as well join both. And then, and then they're still going like more, almost two years later. And I'm really grateful for dominant peers and community who, um, you know, occasionally have like called me on my shit and been like, nope, you're definitely being a dick about that. And then okay, other occasionally just been really, really supportive and, and open toward some of the hard times that have been happening. Cause I don't know about you, but DS relationships, most of the people I know who have been in DS relationships through COVID times, it is, it has been really rough to manage a power dynamic, um, in addition to everything else. So I'm, my heart goes out to everyone who's working on that. And, and, and I'm so grateful to my little, my little peer support groups who have been really helpful. Hi, this is Auntie Vice from Fat Chicks on Top. October is just around the corner, and that's International Kink Month. In preparation for that, I'm offering some special discounts. If you go to my shop at auntievice.com backslash shop, you can pick up a second edition of Love Letters to a Unicorn for $5 off using the code PREPFORFULSOME. If you are interested in kink coaching, by me personally, you can try a free session. You can book a session for coaching and use the code MYFIRSTTIME, and that'll get you a free 50-minute consult. Texas of the world. 
thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.